How's it going, everybody? I wonder if we could get those lights on. Anybody, anybody? So I'm just going to give you a little bit of warning. There is a bird that is in this building right now flying around. So if you see it descending on me like a dove, it just means the Holy Spirit is here. <laughs> is that too far? I don't, I don't know. Too far. Also, if, if you see something raining from heaven, it's probably not manna, okay? Just say that much. <laughs> you might duck. That was a, a bird pun. Duck. Good job. Is that Paven? Good to see you. Oh, man, I love Wednesday nights. Can I just say that? Um, I grew up in a church of, boy, for most of the time, we were probably, what, 20 people, Jesse? 20 or 30 people in just a really small, really small church. And uh, I love the size of our church um, because Sundays are exciting and full and, and we, uh, we have lots of people to meet. But I also really love Wednesday nights because I get a chance to really actually talk to people and have conversations. And there's something about a smaller group that, that I just love. Um, can't think of anywhere better to be on a Wednesday night. Amen. All right. You guys got your Bibles? Flip them over to uh, the book of Mark. Let me start in chapter 8. What a cool journey it's been going through Mark, huh? Man, some really good stuff in there. It's been a blessing for me to take in the teachings as well as be able to share some of them. Mark chapter 8. Put your finger on verse 22. I don't know about you guys, I don't know if you've ever had a moment uh, in your life where you sort of realized or thought about uh, how little you know, and I don't just mean when you like failed a test or something, but I mean just a moment, maybe it's when you're sitting there looking up at the stars, or just a a moment in your life where you just kind of go, man, I I have seen and I know so little about this world. I was thinking about that a little bit today, just in regards to what we're going to be talking about, and uh, I have not seen much. And even if you've been alive for 80, 90 years Let's be honest. I mean, you haven't seen much either in comparison, right? I mean, our scope is pretty limited. And if you don't think so, check this out. So let's be generous here for a second. Let's say that in your entire life as a human, uh, I don't know what that means. (laughs) We do believe in reincarnation here, so your entire life as a human, um, let's say that you have seen visually um, and we're being generous. Let's, see, let's say that you've seen visually at least the amount equivalent to the state of Oregon, okay? Um, and I mean, I don't know, maybe you've been to Israel, maybe you've been to Europe, maybe you've been to uh, Washington, Canada. But, but if you added up everything that you've seen in the world, maybe, maybe if, we're, if, if we're being generous, it would add up to the, the entire state of Oregon. I mean, if you've seen every square foot of the state of Oregon. Now, if you've seen every square inch with your eyes of the state of Oregon, you've seen 96,000 square miles, okay? Fun fact. Okay, that's a freebie. 96,000 miles. Now, if you had seen the entire square footage of the world, you guys ready for this? I love Google. The entire square footage of the world, if you're taking notes, right fast. It's 5 quadrillion, 500, 2 trillion, 532 billion, 127 million square feet. That's a lot of square feet, okay? The earth's big. We have seen very little of the earth, Right? Our scope is limited. Now check this out. Light travels. You guys know about light, right? Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Okay, now these are just numbers, but stop and think about that, okay? 
for a second. 186,000 miles in one Mississippi. Okay? That's really far. Okay? Now, 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 that's our ruler. The farthest reaches of the galaxies that we know of are 10 to 12 billion light years away. Okay? Now, think about circumference here. <laughs> so just the, just the amount of the universe that we know of, 10 to 12 billion light years surrounding us. This is a huge, a vast amount of land that we have discovered very little of, that we have explored very little of. We've barely even explored our earth. So compare that 96,000 square feet of Oregon that we maybe have possibly seen in our lifetime to the vastness of the universe. And tell me, how much do you know? How much do we know? We don't know anything, right? Our vision is limited. If you still don't believe me, this is interesting. How much information exists in the world? I don't know. It's impossible to find out. I mean, I tried Googling it. (laughs) It wasn't on there. But what I did find was how much information actually exists on the internet, okay? And, are you ready for this? 1.2 zettabytes. Raise your hand if you know what a zettabyte is. That's what I thought. 1.2 zettabytes. Okay, to speak a little more English, that is 1.3 trillion gigabytes, okay? So just on the internet, just in cyberspace, there is 1.3 trillion gigabytes of data, okay? Knowledge, things happening, things going on that we don't know about. Okay, now that amounts to about 339 miles of fully loaded iPads stacked to the sky. Can you guys see that okay? Okay, let me say that again. 339 miles of fully loaded, iPads are pretty thin, okay, I got one, they're thin, right? That's pretty tall. That's just cyberspace. Can you imagine the amount of knowledge and the amount of DNA, the amount of of numbers that make up cells and everything in the entire universe is a lot of knowledge, okay? The human brain, according to Google, the human brain is capable of holding about 1,000 gigabytes. I don't think my brain holds anywhere near 1,000 gigabytes. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, don't laugh. You'll hear my feelings. But, but, but the average brain, whatever, can hold 1,000 gigabytes. Now, compare 1,000 gigabytes to 1.3 trillion gigabytes. I'm just saying. We don't know much. Our sight is limited, okay? Lastly, there's 7 billion people in the world and again, this is being generous, but one statistic says that the average person could meet up to, physically, up to 10,000 people in one lifetime. 10,000 out of 7 billion people, okay? That's a lot of people. It's a big earth. It's a big universe. I don't think I've met 10,000 people, but that's, that's a lot. I'm, I'm just, what I'm trying to say here, guys, is our scope is small. Our vision is limited, Right? Tonight we're going to look at a story in Mark chapter 8 about someone whose sight, whose vision was limited. Okay, so let's flip over there. Mark chapter 8. Let's read it. It says in verse 22, They came to Bethsaida. Okay, this is the north and the Sea of Galilee. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Verse 23, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had... He spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Guy watches too much Lord of the Rings. You guys ever seen that movie with the trees, you know, walking? Okay, that was a bad joke. Um, Then Jesus laid his hands on the eyes again and said, 
I'm sorry, and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly and he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. So here we have a guy that has zero sight, can't see at all. His friends bring him physically to Jesus. They say, will you touch him? Will you heal him? Jesus pulls him outside of the village. Jesus, strangely enough, he spits on his eyes and heals his sight, but not fully, but partially, right? Partially heals his eyes. So he says, can you see anything? This guy says, yeah, I see, I see people, but they look like trees. Okay, so kind of blurry. Something's not right there. Doesn't see fully. So Jesus does it again. He touches his, his eyes again, and then this man sees clearly. Pretty interesting, right? We're going to get more into that. But what, what is it like to be this guy, first of all? I always like to think when I, when I look at the scripture, like what has this guy gone through in his life? What has his life been like as a blind man? What is it like? What are the social, uh, the, the physical disadvantages that he would be at as a blind man in this time? Well, first of all, uh, his interaction with environment would have been difficult. What I mean by that is like getting anywhere would have been really hard. Um, they didn't have a lot of the things that we have for people that are blind today. Um, they, it would have been really hard to get along, to get around. Uh, secondly, his social interactions would have been difficult. A lot of the way that we communicate as people is through physical, um, you know, seeing people's face and things like that. So he wouldn't be able to communicate in that way. Um, seeing signs, reading things, visual symbols would have been difficult for him. Uh, most importantly, employment would have been really hard for this guy. You can't see in a time like that, there's not a lot of jobs for you. He most likely would have been supported by family. Most likely would have been supported by friends. Um, he, would have, he would have needed help with most physical things, just, just basic everyday physical things. He would have needed help his whole life. Would have been difficult. Um, the public perception of this man would have been probably that sort of a negative one. They would have thought of him as less because he physically couldn't see. And we don't know this for sure, but honestly, a lot of the time back then they thought that when people had things like this, it was because of sin, because of something that happened to him or in his family. So he could have been perceived as a lesser, a sinner, someone that's not capable, someone that can't take care of himself, can't work a job. Um, this guy's, he's had a little bit of a rough life, okay? And what I want, I want you guys to realize right away, and I'm going to spend some time on this, is that you guys can all see me right now, I think, most of you probably, can all see me right now. But the reality is, is that at one point before Christ, if you're saved, you were completely blind. Now I'm talking spiritually, of course. You were spiritually completely 100% blind before Christ came into your life and opened your eyes. So this man, we have a lot to learn from this guy. We have a lot to learn from this story. Okay? Because we were blind at one point. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, you don't have to turn there, but it says, even if our gospel is veiled, okay, veiled as in covered, if our gospel, the truth, the good news of Jesus Christ, if it's veiled, if it's covered, it's covered or veiled to those who are perishing. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. So what that's saying is that for the non-believer, for the, the person that has not been regenerate, the person that has not been saved, their eyes are blind. They don't see spiritual things. They don't understand, they don't discern spiritual things because they've been blinded. And Jesus told us this in John 9, 39. It says, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. So Jesus comes in to heal the blind. What else does he say? This is interesting. Those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, thinking, surely we see, because we're the spiritual religious leaders of the time. And he said to them, uh, the Pharisees said to them, are we also blind? And Jesus responded, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. In other words, you wouldn't be guilty of anything. But 
now that you say, we see your guilt remains. What in the world is going on there? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, I'm coming into the world to allow those that are blind to see, and I'm coming into the world for those that think they see to be blind. Because ultimately, if you think you see apart from Christ, you're blind. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They thought that they saw through their own religion, through their own means, and they were blind. Jesus called them out on that. So I want you guys to imagine, I'm talking about spiritual blindness here of the non-believer. I want you to imagine, the coolest thing I think of was a caveman. I'm not saying we believe in caveman, but think of a caveman, okay? You pull him out of his environment, you take him thousands of years later, and you put him in a radio shack. Okay, you guys picturing this in your head? <laughs> and you say, okay, caveman, I want you to exist in this radio shack for the rest of your life. <laughs> what is that caveman going to do? I thought of some funny pictures in my head. You know, he's going to go over to the satellite dishes. He's probably going to use it for like a plate or something, you know, maybe a hat. He's going to go over to the iPads and the iPhones. He's probably going to use them as blocks or buildings. He's going he's gonna dig to a, dig a hole with it or something like that. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. So the reality is, is here's a guy that knows absolutely nothing about what this stuff was intended for. And he's going to go just kind of try to figure it out. Well, this might be a shovel, right? Guys, this is the state of the non-believer in the world, okay? We're in the world without Christ, like, like this guy in Radio Shack. God has designed and created the world in a specific way. He's given us specific things. He's given us specific desires, specific longings. And apart from Christ, we're completely blind. We don't understand what these things are for, so we do whatever we want to do. We only know things because God has shown us these things, okay? Um, Love, good, evil, sin, sex, children, war, marriage, community. We didn't decide what these things were, okay? We didn't get together as mankind and say, there will be marriage, and there will be sex, and there will be war, and there will be this and that. This is stuff that's reality, okay? And without someone to explain to us why these things are the way they are, and why this world is the way it is, then we're blind, Okay? We're blind, we're like a caveman in Radio Shack. Okay? Just remember that. Without the Bible, without Jesus, without the Father coming in and explaining to us the reason why the world is the way it is, we have no idea what these things are. It's not for us as the blindfolded caveman to decide what marriage or life is. It's the one who made it to do it, right? This is exactly what's happening in our culture right now, guys. We as blind people in the world, unsaved, are deciding what these things are when God already said what they are, right? Well, marriage, hey, let's make that iPod a shovel, right? Marriage, ah, let's make it a man and a man. Let's make it a man and a dog. Let's make it a woman and a horse. Whatever. Whatever. Because we're going to decide what it is rather than letting God decide what it is because we're blind. That's what's happening in our culture. We're not letting God define the reality of the world that we live in. We're defining it for ourselves. And that's sin. And that's what we're up against. This is what we're dealing with. This is the blindness of the world. Think about the color blue. I always think about this. It's kind of random. But the color blue is only blue because we've been told it's blue, right? But you can say that it's red all you want. It doesn't really matter what you call it. It's still the color that it is. (laughs) 
We live, this is the world that we live in. We live in a world of truths. We live in a world of absolutes. You can call an apple an orange all you want, but the reality is, is it's still an apple. And so the world, as they're blind, is saying marriage is this, love is this, sex is this, money is this. And God says, you can call it that all you want, but the reality is, is it is what I made it to be. And even though you're blind and even though you want to call it whatever it is because you don't understand this world that I've created because you're fallen, it still is what it is. Does that make sense? This is the culture that we're living in, guys. It's when you flip on the news and you see the things that are happening, it makes sense. When you think about this, this is a biblical worldview. This is a foundation here for us to think about. Why is the world the way it is? Because we're blind. We don't understand the way it was created because we're not listening to the one who created it. We want to define it for ourselves. What we look back in history, what we see is a twisted and a fallen version of what, man, of what God had originally intended for things to be. We were created in God's image, but living out a fallen and blind existence of this creation, okay? Now, apart from Christ, guys, the world is blind. Now, secondly, on this subject... The unregenerate heart, let me explain that word really quick. Unregenerate means that God is not, you've not been reborn yet. God has not given you a new heart, a new set of desires. So the unregenerate hearts, the unbeliever, the ones that we are ought to be out witnessing to, reaching out to, those that need Christ, those that are not saved, the unregenerate heart prefers blindness to sight. I can't say that enough. Guys, why, when we go to our neighbors, why, when we go to our friends and we tell them about the good news of Christ, why do we get door slammed in our face? Why is this country, why is the media determined to shut out Christianity? Because they love the darkness. They don't love the light. Okay, don't believe me? What did Jesus say? John three nineteen. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Who is the light? And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The light came into the world and they crucified him. Why? Because they love the dark. The unregenerate heart is evil in all ways. It's sinful against God in every way. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sin, as Ephesians says, okay? Apart from Christ, we want the darkness. We do. We prefer the darkness to the light. Also, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but once you are a Christian, once you have a regenerate heart, you can never enjoy the darkness the way that you used to. Because you know what it is. Because you know what you're doing. You realize what's happening spiritually when you come in and you sin in a way that is hurting and affecting you and others, and you actually sin against the holiness and the nature of God. You realize what's happening because your eyes have been opened, right? And you can never enjoy sin the way you used to. I'm sorry. So why does the world not want the light? Because they love the darkness. They don't want the light because they prefer the darkness. Praise God, he is gracious enough because that was me. And he gave me something that he knew I needed. And that was him. And now that I have the light, I can never go back because I'll never enjoy it. The world has nothing for us now. Amen? I'll give you some examples of this. You guys ever seen a documentary called Food Incorporated? Raise your hand if you love cheeseburgers. Don't watch that movie. <laughs> Don't do it. If you like cheeseburgers, don't watch Food Incorporated. I love McDonald's. I, it's, just, it's this hidden sin that I deal with. I love McDonald's. Confessed. Taco Bell, it's good. 
And, and I love, and I just, I love the double cheeseburgers. They're delicious. They're good. After I watched this movie, I cannot enjoy McDonald's the way I used to, guys. I still eat it sometimes, but I don't enjoy it the way I used to because when I pull that burger out of that golden wrapper and the grease is dripping and I go to ingest it into my mouth, I think in my head about the picture of this nasty carcass with everything being thrown into this hamburger, being bleached and turned into something that resembles meat but has nothing like meat, and it's disgusting. And I want to put that in my mouth, and I do it anyways, but it's gross. (laughs) Right? I mean, it is, because we know. People don't want to know what's in their hamburger. They don't. Why is McDonald's still in business? The same reason Satan's still in business, right? (laughs) It's true. People love the darkness. They love McDonald's. They don't want to know about Food Incorporated. It's true. <laughs> when I was, guys, when I was, not a, was, when I was not a believer, I knew that God was real. I was raised right. I knew the word. I had no doubt in my mind that God was real. But I didn't care. Why? I didn't get saved. Why? Because I wanted to live the way that I wanted to live. I didn't want to answer to God. I didn't want to. And it took a changing of desire for me. Not just a willing myself into get saved. I tried to will myself into getting saved multiple times. I remember as a little kid being so scared of hell that I would lay in my bed and say, I want to get saved. But I really didn't mean it. And I knew I didn't mean it. And as hard as I tried to will myself into salvation, it wasn't until God said, look, I'm worth more than this, (laughs) that it happened. And my eyes were open. And I was saved. But I didn't get saved for a while because I wanted the darkness. You guys are going to laugh at me like I'm a nerd, but have you ever seen The Matrix? I mean, that's a really cool, actually, analogy of spiritual things there. Here's this guy, Neo, right? He's just living his life, going to work. Ignorance is bliss, just living, whatever. All of a sudden, through some events, he wakes up. He wakes up, and the world is scorched, being run by aliens, and every human is dreaming. And this whole world that he had ever lived in was simply just a dream, So now he's faced with this issue. (laughs) He has the option to take the red pill, which means he gets to go back to the dream and continue living, or take the blue pill, which means he has to face the reality of what really happened on the world, and that's that robots took over and people are batteries, okay? And so he takes the blue pill, right? But there's a bad guy. I know I sound like such a nerd, but this is good. There's a bad guy that ends up betraying them because he worked out a deal that he could go back into this dream world, but he wouldn't know it. And he says, he says, ignorance is bliss. He would rather live in a dream world and not know about the reality that these robots are sucking the life out of his body and the world is scorched. He would rather live in this dream world that doesn't exist than to face the reality and have to deal with it. This is what happens when you preach the gospel to the non-believer. They know it's true. They know that this life is not it, right? I mean, they do, but they don't want to wake up. And they will do anything to not wake up because they love the darkness rather than they love the light. Listen to this. You guys know who Helen Keller is? She was blind. She was deaf. She was in complete darkness. She couldn't hear. She couldn't see. And she was also a Christian, which is awesome. She said this. She said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight with no vision. If anyone can say that, it's her, right? The only thing worse than being blind is having sight with no vision. It doesn't matter if you can see. What matters is if you can see. You know what I'm saying? 
Okay, let's get back to our text. So Jesus heals this blind man, right? There's three things I want to kind of pull out of this text really quick, just to look at, just to observe. We're going to come back to this, this thought. But um, the first thing is I noticed in this text is that Jesus leads him out of town. I thought that's kind of interesting. It makes a point. Mark makes a point to say that Jesus leads him out of town. Verse 23. There's three principles I want to talk about here that God just kind of put on my heart um, as to why he, why he took him out of town. Um, firstly, Jesus does the saving, okay? Jesus does the saving. All that this blind man, all that this blind man's loved ones can do is lead him to Jesus. All that they can do is take him to Jesus. But ultimately, the only one that can save is Christ. It's not the crowd. It's not what's going on there. It's Jesus that does the saving. Now, again, with your unsaved friends, with your unsaved coworkers, our tendency is to want to take them to a crowd, to take them to where the excitement is, to take them where things are happening. If I take them to Bethel, if I take them to Hillsong, if I take them to whatever, these mighty big churches with emotion and stuff, then maybe God will impact them. What I love about this is that Jesus pulls them aside and it's just him and Jesus. And that's special to me because that's how I got saved. It wasn't, in a, it wasn't during a concert. It wasn't during worship. It wasn't with lights and, and drums and whatever. It was just, I was mopping a floor and God got a hold of my heart, opened my eyes, and I burst into tears and I gave my life to him, right? It was just me and Jesus. And I love that about the story. He pulls him aside. He says, this isn't gonna be about the crowd. This isn't gonna be about the emotion. It's gonna be about you and me personally meeting. Jesus wanted the first thing for him to see to be him, right? Not a crowd, to be him. I love that. Second reason why I think he led him out of town. Let's skip that one. <laughs> the third reason, and I think the one that really matters here, uh, the third reason I think, the real reason, is uh, that Jesus was never intending to make the miraculous the point. Okay, I can't say that enough. Jesus' intent was never to get all of the focus of the crowd onto a miracle. What was his point? His point was to get all of the focus on the cross. How do I know that? Well, because every time Jesus would do a miracle, every time Jesus would do something, he would say, hey, don't tell anybody. And when a crowd would get too big, Jesus would take off. He wasn't doing it so that the miraculous could be in the spotlight. He wasn't doing it so that the miracles could be in the spotlight. Now, does God heal? Yes. Will God heal? Yes. God loves to heal physically, but God wants the cross and the limelight, not the physical miraculous. Jesus wanted the attention on the cross. He said, I'm going to the cross for you, for your eternity, to save you, and I want that to be the focus, not the miraculous thing. It's important. Second observation in this is, is okay, let's, be, let's be honest. I mean, elephant in the room. He pulls the guy out and he spits on his face. I mean, that's a little weird, right? We've got to talk about this. <laughs> what are you doing, Jesus? You know, what are you spitting on this guy's face for? It's a little random. Some people would say the reason he spits on his face is because uh, the, the physical spittle of Jesus had supernatural powers in it, right? You probably tell us not what I think. Um, the Eastern Orthodox Church would love that because they're all about the physical power that, that are, are held in things. But, but ultimately, I, I don't think that's what it is. In fact, I think there's kind of, as a side note, there's a danger in overemphasizing physical things sometimes. Um, someone let me borrow a book one time about healing. Um, by a well-known pastor that's, that's a healer. And uh, it was really interesting because the book, I mean, it, had, it, it was like a diagram. If you have back pain, it's because 
the demonic. If, you, if your knee hurts, it's because of unconfessed sin. <laughs> it was all broken down. And then what you do is, as the healer, you go in and you touch the knee in a certain way, and you pray in a certain way, and then it happens. Seriously? Is that how God works? Sometimes we love to just focus on the physical. Oh, is the spit of Jesus. Well, and then you wonder why people are saying they have Peter's you know, underwear or whatever and worshiping them. I don't know whatever the, the church has of Peter's that they worship. But physical things. <laughs> the reality is I don't think it was about the spit. I also find it kind of funny that in another place in the New Testament, Jesus heals someone's blindness and he doesn't do it with spit. He actually just speaks. And he's healed, right? Remember that Bartimaeus? J. Vernon McGee, I remember listening to a sermon by him years ago, and he was, he was making a joke about um, if, if this had happened nowadays, we would have a church split in two denominations. <laughs> the denomination of spit and the denomination of speaking. Like, oh, the, you, you guys, you heal with spit. No, you heal with speaking. And really, Jesus did it both. Um, so that was kind of funny. I think Jesus is trying to physically communicate to this guy. He's blind, okay? He doesn't know what's going on. Jesus takes him by the hand, physically leads him out, Jesus does a physical action to heal him. And I love that because sometimes Jesus just physically gets a hold of us in our heart, right? It's not always a mental thing. A lot of times it's a physical thing. Third observation of this text. Why did Jesus have to heal him twice? This was the big question when I read this. Why did Jesus heal him twice? This is the only miracle that takes place that we know of where Jesus heals someone and had to do it again. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? He had to do it again. Why? Listen, verse 25, he spit on his eyes, laid on his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. He has to do it twice. Why? Well, maybe Jesus didn't use enough spit. (laughs) I mean, maybe uh, Jesus just did it wrong. Well, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, was this man's faith weak? What was it? What's, what's the deal here? I mean, maybe the Holy Spirit was still at a Benny Hinn thing. I don't know. Maybe Jesus, you know, I don't know what it was. But the reality is, guys, there's a principle here for us to understand. It's not that Jesus messed up and didn't do it right, had to heal him again. It's not that Jesus um, didn't use enough spit. Those, those are jokes. The reality is, is there's a principle here. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For we now, or sorry, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Okay, so we've talked about the non-believer. Now I want to talk to you guys. Talk to me. Where are we at? We're not blind anymore, but we're in the middle. (laughs) We don't see things clearly yet. We're this guy before he gets fully healed. We see things, but they kind of just look like trees. What did that just say? For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Paul is saying there that right now we don't fully get it. We don't fully understand heavenly things. He calls them mysteries, Paul does. We don't get everything yet. We get a little bit. We get some of it. But ultimately, everything's a little blurry for us, okay? The Holy Spirit can reveal truth to us. The Holy Spirit can teach us. But ultimately, guys, we're all still pretty spiritually blind, okay? Can we all agree with that? We're all still pretty spiritually blind. Now, let's read on in our text. Verse 27, Peter, now I taught on this two weeks ago, so I'm not going to get into this. I just wanted to to make a point really quick on it. Uh, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They told him, John... The Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? 
Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Other synoptics say the Christ, the son of the living God. He strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And then in Matthew we read that Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, Peter, you're blind. You don't even have the Holy Spirit yet. You don't see anything Supernatural. You don't see into the heavenly realm. You don't see my kingdom of God. How do you know I'm Christ, the son of the living God? Well, he says, blessed are you, for flesh and blood did not reveal this, but what? My father has revealed it. The reality is that Peter is blind, and here is a perfect illustration that Mark, I don't think by accident, places right after that, saying that Peter only saw this, only understood that Jesus was the Messiah because the Holy Spirit revealed to him. Because Peter's still blind. Verse 31, let's read on. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Okay, pause it. This is huge. Up until this point, the disciples are stoked. They're thinking Jesus is coming in to rule and to reign over the nation of Israel. He's going to kick the Romans out. He's going to be the man. We're going to be his homies on his side. This is going to be great. Up until this point, I mean, this is what the Jews thought that the Messiah was going to do. Apparently, they missed Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and they read things where it talks about Jesus' second coming, where he comes in power to rule and reign. So they think Messiah is coming to rule, to reign, and then Jesus drops a bomb. He says, <laughs> he says, he began to teach them and that the Son of Man must suffer. What? What do you mean he must suffer? You're the Messiah. You're the King of kings, the King to rule all kings. To end all wars. So you must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the spiritual leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. What? You're going to be killed? What are you talking about? I mean, their chips are all in. Jesus is it for them, right? It's not like they got an assistant pastor they can go follow. No, Jesus is it. He's the guy they're following. He's the dude. Their chips are on him. And he says, I'm going. I'm dead. I'm gone. I'm toast. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And Peter just doesn't know what to do with this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I would love to hear that. He got the star breather, man. The one who God created the heavens and earth through and for. And Peter's rebuking him in his blindness. Because he's completely blind. He doesn't get it. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) For you are not setting your mind on the things of God. You are blind, Peter. You don't see. You're blind. You don't understand what's going on here. I mean, Jesus just revealed, revealed the most important spiritual transaction that ever will take place between and for man. I'm sorry between God the Father and God the Son, that he would take our sin on himself and give us his righteousness, that Jesus would become sin and take the wrath of God. This is the most important moment for us as believers that we have been saved, for Peter himself, because there's no heaven for Peter apart from what Jesus is about to do. And Peter's so blind that he rebukes Christ for it and says, what are you talking about, Jesus? We're gonna go storm Jerusalem, man. We're gonna take over. He's completely blind. He doesn't get it at all. By the way, this guy just... Jesus just said one of the most profound things in the entire world, that you are Christ, the son of the living God. A few minutes later, Jesus is rebuking him, saying, get behind me, Satan. Blindness. (laughs) We're just blind. We don't get it. We don't understand what's really going on, and Jesus does. As a side note, guys, how often do we do this? I mean, how often do we think I mean, we talked at the beginning how much we really know, right? 
How often do we think that we know it all? I mean, of course, we'd never say that, but how often do we think that we got it all figured out? How often do we think, I'm not talking about important core doctrines, I'm going to talk about that in a second. I'm talking about the methods of how we do church. I'm talking about the philosophy behind why we do church, pews or chairs, loud or quiet, hymns or rock, whatever, drums, no drums. How often do we bicker and fight and gossip about the things, the methods of how we do church, thinking that we know best? And this stuff doesn't even matter. We're blind. I mean, we are willing to split churches over this stuff. I've grown up in church. I've seen it firsthand, splitting it over the color of paint. It's ridiculous because we know everything. Can I see that illustration? This is hilarious, by the way. Will you pop that up? Can you guys see that? So it's membership class, okay? And the guy teaching the membership class, it starts with 1 AD, okay? Which that's actually wrong because it would be 33 AD, whatever. Uh, It starts with 1 AD and then there's all these little things coming out from there. So all the different denominations and and, and so on and so forth. And And then he says... So this is where our movement came along and finally got the Bible right. <laughs> you guys see that? It's pretty funny. And then this little kid in the background goes, Jesus is so lucky to have us. <laughs> isn't that true? I mean, isn't that hilarious? Now, I'm not talking about the difference between a uh, cult. I'm talking about Bible-believing, sin-repenting, uh, Trinitarian Christians that believe Jesus is God. Within that, the multiple tribes that we have, Foursquare, Calvary Chapel, um, whatever it is, First Baptist, Southern Baptist, 50 other Baptists, Presbyterian, I'm talking about between those lines, this is what we think. God, Jesus is so lucky to have us because we got it all figured out. We got our ESV Bible or our King James Bible. We got our chairs. You know, we meet in a gym, so, you know, it's not about the building. Uh, Whatever it is, you know what I mean? The 50 million reasons that probably most of us have left the church before. I left Applegate because the seats are brown, and I don't like sitting in the grass in the summer, and free burgers are lame. Um, Whatever. I left left Mountain because Jim didn't say hi to me when I walked past him and uh, hurt my feelings, and whatever. I mean, come on. We're blind. We're fighting over nothing. You guys get that? Can we, just, can we just understand that we're idiots and that we don't understand everything? <laughs> and can we stop bickering as the church? I mean, let's do that. More seriously here, let's talk about false doctrine. What is, what is Jesus' response to Peter? And what is Peter doing here firstly? Peter is downplaying the cross, Okay? He's saying, he's saying, no, 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 Jesus, you got it wrong. It's not, about the, it's not about the gospel. It's not about the cross. It's about the world. It's about here. It's about now. It's about ruling. It's about reigning. It's about power, right? It's what Peter's saying. And Jesus says he's demonic. <laughs> you get that? He says, no, you're demonic right now. You are not speaking out of God's heart. You're speaking out of Satan's heart. Get behind me. So what Jesus is essentially saying there is that to water down the gospel of Jesus Christ, to preach any other gospel, to say, oh, Jesus, let's help you out really quick and make you more relevant and take out the verses that talk about homosexuality and take out the verses that talk about adultery and whatever. Let's help you out to make you more relevant so that you're more swallowable for the world. That's demonic. If you want to pull the gospel out of the Bible, you're demonic. Straight up. That's what Peter wanted to do. No, Jesus, you got it wrong. 
And that's what we want to do. That's why pastors water down the gospel to the point where it's soy milk, because they're terrified that people won't drink it. And what they're doing is demonic. They're not preaching the gospel. And Jesus would say, get behind me, Satan. It's serious. It's a real deal. Now lastly, in close with this, Jesus responds to Peter. And this is heavy. Jesus' Jesus's response to Peter um, and what he said <laughs> to Jesus is this. He says, in calling the crowd to him, he says, hey, everybody, come on. We've got to talk. The calling the crowd to him with his disciples, verse 34, he said to them, if anyone will come after me. Okay, you guys, and they've all, they've all said, yeah, we want to come after you. That's why they're there. That's why they're following him. If anyone wants to come after him, let him deny himself. And what? Take up his cross. Okay, now I can imagine Peter. I mean, his guts are twisted up. He just got, I mean, he's like the, the little dog that just got scared. I mean, he's, he's like... Jesus just rebuked him harshly. And he's upset about the fact that Jesus is going to go to the cross and die. And then his guts just drop 10 floors more when Jesus says, not only am I going to go to the cross, but you are too. This is what he says here. If you guys want to follow me, you got to take up your cross. To us, that just sounds like Christianese. I mean, we've seen that you know, cross-stitch and tattooed. Take up your cross. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to go through the most brutal death that there is, and you, if you want to follow me, you got to do it too. His guts are in knots right now. Are you kidding me? I mean, everything that Peter just thought is blown out of the water. He says, you got to take up your cross and follow me. Then he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? It's the most valuable thing we own. It's our soul. We don't even own it. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Jesus drops some pretty heavy things here. So what is Christ's response to Peter's blindness? He says, as I said, not only am I going to suffer, but you're going to suffer too. How do we deal with that? I mean, how, you guys, like, I'm not talking about, like, yeah, this is my life. Let's add Jesus into it. He'll fit right there. Christianity. I'm not talking about I continue to live my life the way I want to live my life, and I bring Jesus in. He makes things better when I need him. Christianity. I'm talking about the Christianity that Jesus, the Christ, said. Now, that doesn't register right with me, right? Because we know we're not saved by works. We know we're not saved by what we do. So are you, Sam, are you saying that in order for me to be a Christian, I have to go be crucified or I have to be um, persecuted? I have to be martyred? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when you become a Christian, you will want to. Not right now, because I don't want to right now. I think Stephen, you guys know Stephen in, in, the, in the New Testament? I don't think he wanted to, but I think when, when the time came and they started picking up stones to crush his head, I think the Holy Spirit gave him the power to say, Lord, forgive them. Because I don't have the power right now. But if stuff goes down, you would be surprised how much power God's going to give you. When you become a Christian, it's not a matter of, do I seriously have to do that? You hear Paul the Apostle saying, I count it all done. I count it all nothing because Jesus is greater. 
Listen to this, guys. This is really important. Unless your sight changes, unless your physical sight, I'm sorry, unless your spiritual sight changes, you will choose your life over Christ every time. You will. Unless your sight changes, unless you're spiritually discerning, unless you change the way that your eyes are looking, you will choose the world over Christ every time. If you do it now, you're definitely going to do it when it gets hard. So how do we change our sight? Number one, conform your mind to Christ through his word. If you guys understand that you're blind and that you don't see, then you don't look here for truth. The world says you do. The world says believe in yourself, look inward, find truth, find answers in you because you're ultimately good. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says you're evil. You don't look here for answers. You look there. You look to the word, the living word of Christ. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, that the testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Discernment. If you want to know what's right and you want to know what's wrong, get in the word. We have to think the way he thinks, and in order to do that, we have to be in his word, having our minds conformed. Secondly, and, and this is huge, hopefully I painted the picture well enough, realize that you're blind. Realize that you don't see clearly yet. When do we see clearly? Anyone? In heaven, guys. We don't see clearly till heaven. Paul did not see clearly until heaven. God gave him clarity in the moment to write scripture. God inspired the words that he wrote, but ultimately until heaven, he didn't see clearly, and we won't either. So realize that you're blind. It's humbling, and that's a good thing to realize that you're blind. We're so quick to shoot everything down. We don't understand a lot of things. Thirdly, ask the Holy Spirit. You guys understand that the Holy Spirit's ministry is to glorify the Son, Jesus Christ? That's his ministry. And he does it through the Word. Jesus is the Word. Okay, ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment, to give you eyes to see. And lastly, and most importantly, listen please, the way that we change our sight, the way that we keep from being blind like Peter, is to set our affections on him to set our affections on him. You will never follow Jesus to the cross because you will yourself to do it. (laughs) You will only do it because you want to. How did the disciples go from being scattered, divided cowards who would deny Christ to men? (laughs) How did they go from being that to men that would be willing to completely give their lives Peter being willing to be crucified upside down out of reverence for Jesus? How do they go from there to there? The Holy Spirit got in their heart and changed their affections. Their treasure is not on earth anymore. Peter's treasure is not in Jesus ruling Israel anymore. His treasure is in Jesus. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the point. Jesus is what he wants, what he's looking for. Their desire changed. Once God becomes our greatest affection, all other things will fade away. Our spiritual blindness gets cured when Christ becomes the prize. It's not about willing ourselves into doing it. It's not about, come on, I want to see clearly. It's not. Go ask, well, they'd probably tell you they did. But the monks that live and have lived for thousands of years the same way, that doesn't mean that they see clearly. It doesn't. What means that you see clearly is when you see that Jesus is the most valuable thing. In closing, guys, remember the story about the man who found the treasure in the field that Jesus told? 
He sold everything he had. Why? Because that treasure was more valuable than everything that he owned. Did that man sell everything he owned because someone said, hey, you'll go to heaven if you sell it? No, he sold it because the treasure was more valuable. You'll never live a Christian life. You'll never have your eyes open until you realize that Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the treasure. Amen? All right, God, thank you so much, Lord. Let's all stand, guys. Um, God, thank you so much, Lord, for uh, the fact that, that we don't know anything, but you know everything. God, that you are knowledge, that you are wisdom, that you contain and have created all wisdom and all knowledge in the universe, Lord, and that we don't have to know everything because we know you. And even though we're blind, we have your hand, Lord, and you're leading us, you're guiding us, you're taking us where you want us to go, the best place for us. Jesus, I pray you would change our desires from the things of the world to you. God, I know that we will never choose you over the world. We'll never choose you over the world, Lord, unless you are more valuable to us than the world. So God, I pray that into our lives, our hearts, and I pray that we would be Christians that are not known for thinking we have it all figured out, but that we would be humble, grace-filled Christians that are quick to forgive and quick to point to your son, Jesus Christ. So I love you. I thank you for heritage. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great night.